When my wife and I planted this church over 30 years ago, and it was really more than just uh, my wife and I planting the church. It was our family. And uh, when we were getting started, we spent some time thinking and praying about what name we should give this new church we were planting. And we thought about several names, and, and one of the choices we considered was New Life, New Life Assembly of God. That was going to be the name of our church. Well, that was a, a suggestion, and uh, we eventually ended up with Solid Rock, uh, which was my, my suggestion, so uh, we ended up with Solid Rock. Uh, but we we thought about new life, and we you know we didn't dislike that. It's a good name. Some of you may may know of a church somewhere named New Life Church. Uh, I think it's you know it's not an uncommon name for a church, and it certainly is an appropriate one for a church because we all like the idea of a new life, and we we know through the scriptures that when we are in Christ, we are a new creation. We we have a new life. And we like the idea of a new life because we like the idea of a fresh start. That's what a new life is. It gives us a fresh start. That's why New Year's resolutions are so popular. Many people make resolutions or they set goals at the beginning of the year. New Year's resolutions give us an opportunity for a new start, for a fresh start. Uh, you know, whether it's a, the beginning of a, of a new calendar year or the beginning of a new school year for the kids... Uh, young people that are in school, or maybe uh, it's the beginning of a new athletic season for a sports team. The opportunity for a fresh start gives us hope, excitement, and energy. I think many, uh, or if not all, Cowboys fans have a new sense of hope because it looks like they might have a, a new coach, a new sense of hope, excitement, and energy. And at the beginning of the year, when everybody's you know, zero and zero before any games have been played. Everybody's optimistic. Everybody, every football team or basketball, whatever the sport might be, because a new year gives us a chance for a fresh start. When I was in, in high school, our football team was not very good. I mean, they, they weren't very good. And uh, every year was a losing season. Every year, losing season, year after year. But every year at the beginning of the year, we thought, this is a year we're going to win a game. This is a year. We're going to actually make the playoffs or, you know, win district, which didn't happen. But we had nothing to base our hope on, just the fact that it was a new season. And so a new year gives, gives us a chance to hope and to believe and to get, get excited about a new uh, change or uh, new excitement, a change, something positive happening in our lives. And so we like the idea of a new life. New start, fresh start. And as we start this year and this new decade, and as maybe you consider setting goals, or you've already maybe set goals for this year, what you want to accomplish, maybe you've made a resolution or two, I want to remind you that the best decision you can make, whether it's a resolution, it's a goal, the best decision you can make with this fresh start you're getting is to begin to pray daily. The best decision you can make with this new start we're all getting now. Here it is, the fifth day of the year. And the best decision we can make here at the very beginning to set the tone for a new year is to pray daily. Prayer is the foundation. In fact, 
Prayer is the only foundation for a life of joy, peace, and fulfillment. Because a life of joy, peace, and fulfillment only comes through God. And so when we communicate with God and we establish a a habit of daily prayer, then it, it sets that foundation for this life that we all long for, a life of joy, peace, and fulfillment. And we know how important a, a strong foundation is to a physical structure, don't we? We know we've got to have a good foundation. Every building that's put up, every structure that's built starts with a solid foundation. And our lives also need a strong foundation, one that will allow us to build on it. The, the goals, the desires that we have for our lives and for our family and for our children will only be built on a strong foundation. And so our lives need that foundation that will allow us to build a life of joy, peace, and fulfillment. Now, you can try to build your life on a foundation of physical exercise, and, and that's very important. It's very necessary. Or you can try to build your life on a foundation of financial strength, Or you can try to build your life on a relationship, an exciting relationship with a boyfriend, girlfriend, or uh, just friends. You can build your life on many different foundations. You can try to build your life on the foundation of politics and power and who's in charge of this country. But the only foundation that works for our lives is prayer. In fact, Solomon wrote this in Psalm 127. He, He said, unless the Lord builds the house... The builders labor in vain. You know what he's saying? Unless God is building the house, and we know that for the house to be built, it's got to be on a strong foundation. Unless it's God building the house, then whatever you're doing and whatever you're planning to do this year is in vain. Then he says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Look at verse 2. In vain you rise early. In vain you stay up late. Toiling for food to eat. So he's saying you're, all the work you're doing, getting up early and going to work, staying up late, all the extra work you're putting in, all the money you're saving and all the relationships you're building and all the plans you're making are all in vain if you're not allowing God to build a house on the foundation of prayer. And the foundation of prayer includes the foundation of God's word. It's just a foundation built on God. So the way that we allow God to build our house is through prayer, not infrequent prayer, not occasional prayer, but regular daily prayer. In fact, Paul told the Colossians to be devoted to prayer. You know what devotion means? He's talking, don't just dabble in prayer, but be devoted to prayer. Devote yourself. Devotion to prayer takes energy. If you're devoted to something, then you're giving it time. You're giving it energy. If you're devoted to someone, you give them a lot of time and you give them the energy of a, of a strong relationship or of building a strong relationship. And so we are to be devoted to prayer. That's why uh, what we need is to lay the only foundation for our lives that will allow for peace, joy and fulfillment. And that is prayer. Face to face communication with God. Jesus taught about prayer. <clears throat> he taught about prayer. He taught us how to pray. He taught his disciples and us by extension how to pray. And so in Matthew 6, Matthew 6, beginning with verse 9, we read this. You can follow along in your Bibles or listen as I read the words of Jesus 
on the Sermon on the Mount, in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, 9, he, he said, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, these words here are probably the most repeated words in the world. And that's saying a lot, right? But I would venture to say that these words are probably the most repeated words in the entire world. Many people have said these words and say they repeat these words. They've learned them. They recite them occasionally. And oftentimes it might be at a funeral or, or just in a, in a service in their church gatherings. And so these words are said often by many people, even people who are not religious, somehow have learned them and enough to say them in a, in a group setting. But people who have learned these words and who recite these words from time to time may have failed to realize that the answer to living a life of joy and a life of peace and fulfillment is found in these words, not in reciting them. There is no effect in reciting them, but in learning the model of prayer that Jesus gave us. Because th these words are not a prayer to recite. Now, we recite them and that's fine. I'm not saying that's wrong. That's, that's fine and that's all good. But these prayers are actually a model for us to teach us how we should pray. And so when Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. He wasn't saying this then is what you should recite. But he was saying this then is how you should pray when you, when you pray. Here is a model. Here is a pattern you should follow. And so first of all, I think what Jesus was telling us is this. I think that Jesus was telling us that prayer is difficult. But not impossible. Prayer is difficult, but not impossible. When, when Jesus said, this then is how you should pray, he was acknowledging the difficulty of prayer. He was saying, look, this is not something you're just going to pick up. You need to learn to pray because prayer is difficult. So I'm going to teach you to pray. And this is how you should pray. In fact, uh, Luke, the historian, says that the disciples actually asked Jesus... And so this really clarifies it for us a little bit more. The disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. They told him, Lord, teach us to pray. So he said, okay, this is how you pray. So we know he was teaching them to pray, not teaching them to recite a prayer. Because he understood that prayer is difficult. But it's not impossible. Sometimes we think, I'll never get this down. I've been a Christian for 10 years, for 15 years, and I still can't get down the habit of, of praying daily. Well, because we have to understand first that it's difficult and not believe that it's impossible. I think when you understand first that it's difficult, you understand what it's going to take to get there. If, if, uh, if a, pilot, a pilot of an airplane is untrained, which he wouldn't really be a pilot, but if a, a person is untrained in flying a plane and he gets in there, he says, you know what, this is easy. Anyone can do this. You know, I've seen it done on TV. You know, so 
he, he thinks he can start the, pl- the plane and, and fly it, then he's liable to get killed and kill people that might be flying with him. He's got to go in, 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 uh, in the cockpit, and there should be some adrenaline pumping. You know, I would feel better if there's some adrenaline pumping, and he's like, okay, I got to get this right. Here are the steps. You know, here's the checklist. Here's what I got to do. I don't want a pilot going in and saying, ah, it's no big deal. So I've been drinking some. I can handle this. You know, I want somebody who's, laying, who's saying, uh, okay, this is, this, is, uh, this is hard. I've learned how to do this. I'm going to do this right. And takes care in how he approaches that. And I think it's similar for prayer. We just think, well, you know, it's no big deal. And I know that many people think, well, prayer is not difficult because it's just talking to God. Well, that's true. But if, if we're talking about the type of prayer that builds a foundation, the type of prayer that requires us to be devoted to it, then it's not easy. It's going to take an approach from us, an approach from us and understands, okay, this is something Jesus said, I need to learn. I need to learn. And so I'm, I'm going to learn how to do this and begin to practice. When the disciples told Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus didn't say, oh, you don't need to learn. You just talk to God. Well, we do talk to God. And it's as simple as that. But we also know, and some of you who have practiced praying for years might uh, might agree with me on this, that yes, it's true, prayer is just talking to God, but also prayer is difficult. There are many distractions that keep us from praying. Prayer is hard. Just like, just like marriage is hard and marriage requires work. Now, some people think, well, marriage is not hard. We love each other. Young couples, we, we love each other. We don't need money. We'll live under a tree. That's all we need, a tree, a bridge somewhere. Because we love each other and love conquers everything, right? Well, yeah, but marriage is hard. You know, if there's one thing that my wife and I tell young couples who are about to get married, it's that, that marriage requires work. Marriage requires work. If they want to turn their crush, which is really, that's what it is. It's a crush, right? When we first, when we were kids, when we first fell in love, and it's how we're going to get married. It's a crush. So if, if young couples want to turn their crush into a long, fulfilling marriage, they're going to have to work at it. And so part of the, the uh, counseling, that premarital counseling that we take young couples through is how they can work at it, what steps they can take at working. They have to work at, at being married. They have to work, and they have to know how to argue. We tell them there are rules to arguing. You didn't realize this. there are rules to arguing. There's things you, they're not allowed when you argue. And so they have to, if they want to have a, a fulfilling marriage, a long marriage, they're going to have to work at their marriage, at turning their crush into a real marriage because it takes work. Same with prayer. Before we learn to pray from Jesus, and, and like I said, make no mistake about this, this is a model for us to learn to pray Before we do that, we've got to acknowledge the difficulty of prayer so we can devote the right amount of attention and focus to learning to pray. Now, which of us or who of us cannot attest to the fact that when we determine to spend time in prayer, almost immediately we get distracted. You get distracted by random thoughts or you get distracted with your own physical fatigue or you get distracted with your kids needing your attention. Or you get distracted with a fly in the room. And it doesn't take much for us to get distracted from praying. Now as a preacher, I can confess to you that it's easier for me to preach for 30 minutes 
than it is for me to pray for 30 minutes. Is that shocking? It shouldn't be, because prayer is difficult. I can preach for 30 minutes. Now, I've preached some bad sermons, and some of you have heard them. Good, I'm glad nobody said amen. I was just waiting to see, will anybody say amen? Nobody said amen. Okay, I've, I've preached some bad sermons, and some of you who have been here for a number of years have heard them. But I've never preached bad enough that I forgot that I was preaching in the middle of a sermon. It's never been so bad that I'm preaching, and then I start doing something else, and I'm like, oh, I'm preaching. There's a congregation here. I'm, I'm supposed to be preaching. It's never been that bad. But I can tell you that I have been praying And I forget that I'm praying. I have been praying, talking to God, and then I get distracted with a thought. And then before I know it, I'm thinking about something else. And, oh, I'm talking to God. It's happened. Now, come on. Don't pretend like it hasn't happened to you. Because it happens happens to all of us. Because prayer is difficult. It, It takes our attention and focus. And it takes time. Prayer takes time because only time with God... Only spending time with God allows us to really get to know God. If we don't really know God, then we can try to pray, but it's even more difficult. Now, when we know God and and there's an intimacy with God, then it becomes a little easier for it to flow. Now, I've I've, um, come to understand over the years that just because I start praying and I'm distracted doesn't mean that it's going to stay that way. I learned a lot of lessons from running, and I've learned that when I go out for a run, that first mile is just awful. It's always terrible. I want to quit during that first mile. I'm like, why am I running? And I just want to stop and go home. It's, it's always terrible. I never start running, and I feel great. Very rarely. I usually start running, and I feel terrible. But I know that if I keep running after their first mile, then it gets easier, and then... It, it, you know, it gets a little smoother and I can run, you know, several miles. But it's that first mile. That same thing with, with my time of prayer. The first few minutes, if I'm on my knees, my knees hurt. I'm getting distracted with other thoughts. And, and, and I just feel like this is useless. Why do I continue? But if I continue and I persevere through that, it gets easier. It begins to flow a lot easier. And so it takes time and especially... If we want to know God, you know, in any relationship, you've got to take time to know a person. It takes time and and conversation. If we really don't know God and we try to pray, and that's fine, and we should try to pray. But if we really don't know God, our prayers become stilted. Our prayers become awkward, just like a conversation with someone that you don't know. Now, we all know that part of our social life is sometimes we have to meet people and make conversation with people that we don't really know. Have you ever been at, say, a dinner or a banquet or something, and you are, you're seated at a table with a group of people you don't know? And, I mean, that's just part of, of adulting, right? We, we have to make conversation with them. We're not going to shut ourselves off and ignore them. We, we've learned to, to make conversation with them, even if we know nothing about them. But sometimes when that happens, we, we feel awkward, and our conversation feels forced. Feels stilted. We might even put our foot in our mouths. Oh, I hate it when that happens. Then I'm like, I leave that table saying, why did I say that? I sounded so dumb. Right? Uh, that's, that's part of our experience. But if we spend time with these people and we get to know them better, not just there. Maybe we, we you know, form a, a friendship and we get to know them. Then 
Our conversations with them are no longer forced, but they're, you know, they're, they, they're flowing a lot easier because getting to know them is what allows us to, to converse uh, more deeply. And getting to know them takes time. And prayer takes time. So prayer is difficult, but it's not impossible. It takes our attention. It takes time. And this is why Jesus said, um, this then is how you should pray. Because he knew we needed to learn it. He knew that we weren't going to just pick it up in the manner that we should be praying. Now, here's something else we learn from, from this. We, we learn that prayer is based on God's status as our father and our status as his children. Because he taught us to pray by saying, our father, our father in heaven. Now, maybe you're understanding why we're going to be going through the same series during the week. Tomorrow, Tuesday, and Wednesday, because I'm not going to get close to finishing the, the Lord's Prayer, teaching from it today. Uh, we're just getting up to this point. Our Father in heaven. And so what he's telling us is that prayer is based on God's status as our Father and our status as His children. Because if you only know God as the Creator... Or if you only know God as the king, prayer doesn't work as well. Some people would say prayer doesn't work unless you know him as your father. Jesus didn't say this then is how you should pray. Start this way. Our creator. Oh, he doesn't say that. Or our king. God is our creator. He is our king. It's true, but he, didn't, he doesn't tell us to start that way. He doesn't say, start this way. This then is how you should pray. Our potentate. Well, he is, but he wants us to approach him as our father. Now, what does this mean? You know, Jesus was the first one, the first person to call God father. Before he arrived, nobody prayed that way. Nobody called God father. So he called God Father, and then he turns around and he teaches us to call him Father as well. Now, you might say, well, you know, of course Jesus calls him Father because he is the Father. And Jesus is the Son. Jesus is the Son of God. So he can call him Father, but we're not children of God. Not the way that he is. He's like the Son of God, like the natural Son of God. We're not. Well, it's true. All that is true. But Jesus says that if we believe in God, we have the same legal status as a child or as a son or daughter that he has. Now, think about that. He is the son of God. And he's telling us, if you are in me. And we'll talk about that here some more in a little bit. If you are in me, you have the same legal status as I do, same status as children of God. And with that legal status comes or come many privileges and rights. So in, in John 1.12, we read this, John 1.12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but 
born of God. See, if we believe in him, if we receive him, then we have the right to be called children of God with all the rights and privileges. Paul writes to the Galatians in Galatians 4, 4, and he, he says this, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Now the word Abba, there's not a direct uh, not really a direct translation to English. That's why it's given to us as Abba. And, and in your translation, it might even be italicized. But it, it's, it's a word that roughly, not precisely, but roughly translates to the word daddy in, in our culture. So the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child... God, listen to this, since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Now think about that, because that speaks volumes about our status as God's child. First of all, he says, you're no longer a slave, but you're God's child. And so he sent the spirit of God, the spirit of his son into his heart. That spirit of the son approaches God this way. Abba, Father. Daddy God. How many of you know that word daddy is a word of intimacy? Right? It's a word of, you know, and I loved it when my kids were little and they called me daddy. Then they grew up and then it was dad. Now it's father. No, I think it's still dad for most of them. But uh, nothing wrong with father. But daddy was just, you know, just an intimacy that parents have or dads have with their, with their children. So he says, Abba, Father. And then he says, since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Which means he has given us the same status as Jesus. Now he's saying, look, if, if we belong to God, we automatically receive the same legal status as Jesus. We can now approach God and talk to God as our Father. It's our Father. When you call God Father, you're acknowledging that Jesus, that you're in Jesus and you understand he is your sin bearer. And you, that you've now received the sacrifice of Jesus as payment for your sin. You are now in Christ and you have received the right to be God's child and to call him father. When you call God father, you're saying that you've placed your trust completely, not partially because that, that's not possible, but completely in Jesus as your savior and that you now have the same legal status and privileges as Jesus does in relation to God as the father. And when we have this God-given audacity to call God father, we have the confidence that he loves us every bit as much as he loves Jesus. And that he's made us an heir like Jesus. Now, I'm sure that there are adoptive parents out there and I've never adopted We've never adopted children, but I'm sure that there are adoptive parents out there who have biological children that also have adopted children who distinguish between their love for their biological children and their love for their adopted children. 
Now, we all, we all know instinctively that that's wrong, right? We all know it, it's wrong for a, a parent, for parents to have, you know, who have biological and adopted children to love the biological more than the adopted children. And uh, my, my son-in-law Garrett is in that kind of unique situation where he has an, a, a biological child and an adopted child that he treats like his biological child. He loves them both equally, and I see that. Uh, because otherwise, we all know that would be wrong. And there are people, unfortunately, who do that. But not our Heavenly Father. He loves us, think about this, He loves us both equally. I want you to understand that. Because if your prayer life is boring, and maybe your life is boring, it might be because you haven't understood how much God loves you as a son, as a daughter, as a child. You can approach Him and say, Our Father. How much does God love his son? How much do you think God loves his son, Jesus? A lot. How much does God honor his son for the sacrifice that, that he paid for our, for our sins? He honors him a lot. Isn't it astounding to know that he loves us that much too? Oh, but we didn't pay the price. No, but Jesus paid the price for us. How much do you love your children? Those of you who are parents, what would you do for your children? Wouldn't you do anything for them? Wouldn't you do anything short of committing a crime or a, or a sin for your kids? And haven't some of you done that? Not the crime or a sin, but done anything but that? Because we love our kids, we would do anything for them. How much would God do for Jesus? How much would he do for us. When we know God our Father loves us. And we can come before his throne of grace with confidence. We no longer have to live in fear and worry and condemnation. You know those things will still come and try to attack us. But we can find comfort in knowing that God loves us. And he cares for us perfectly. He doesn't love Jesus more because he is a natural, as Paul said to the Galatians, the natural son of God and us less because we're adopted into the family. No, he loves us equally. That's what Paul told the Galatians. So often when we pray, we think we're following this model Jesus gave us. But we rush through this part. Okay, first I got to acknowledge God as father. Thank you, God, that you're my father. Hallowed be your name. I praise you. We, you know, we spend a little time praising God. Because we're really, we're really aiming to get to. And Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And so we hang out there for a long time. We hang out. Lord, give us. Lord, give me. Lord, I need this. Lord, help me. Lord, this. Lord, that. We just blew right through our Father and what that means and how that changes our lives and should affect our prayer life. We blow right through the time of praise. Okay, hallowed be your name. Okay, I praise you. Thank you, Jesus, for this new day. Now, what I'm really here for, give me, God, give me this day. My daily bread, what I need, provide this, a new job, a new this, a new that, and heal, and all those things we have the privilege of coming to God for. But, uh, you know, we miss the fatherhood of God and what that tells us. So don't miss the fatherhood of God. Don't go right to give us this day our daily bread. I think if we learn to pray the way Jesus is teaching us, then 
When we get to give us our daily bread, that's more meaningful, that's more powerful if we've understood the fatherhood of God in our lives. Let me just conclude with this. There are two types of Christians. Some people would say one of those types is not really a Christian, but I'll just say there are two types of Christians. Those who serve God and those who use God. Those who serve God are are the ones who understand the fatherhood of God. Those who use God are the ones who go right to give us this day our daily bread. Because both those two groups of people, those that serve God and those that use God, pray. They both pray. But their prayers are very different. They may both sit in church together, but their approach to God are very different. Their approaches to God are very different. The one who uses God is focused on, okay, God, okay, you want me to do something? Okay, I'll, I'll go to church. I'll donate money because I want you to bless me because I want you to help me. I want you to give me this day my daily bread. And so I'll help people out. I'll support. I'll do whatever because I want you to give me my daily bread. They're using God. The one who serves God says, God, you're my father. And I'm your son. And I just want to thank you for that. And just rest in that. Whether you give me anything else the rest of my life. I know you have given me the biggest gift of all. Your fatherhood. Through what Jesus did. You're my father and I'm your child. They're both praying but their prayers are very different. And they both respond very differently when God doesn't answer their prayer. Because there are times that God doesn't give us exactly what we want. When we want it. How we want it. And the one who is serving God will say, God, I don't like what I'm going through. I don't, I don't like this at all. I don't like the pain I'm going through. But you're still my God. Nothing changes between me and you. You're still my God. I'm still your child. I'm going through a painful situation. I don't see a way out of this, but I'm trusting in you. And I know that you will make a way. But the one who uses God says, what's, what's the use of praying? God, are you even there? Are you even real? What kind of religion is this? What kind of church is this? I prayed and nothing happens. What's the matter with you, God? Very different reactions to when God doesn't answer our prayer. So which one are you today? Are you the one who understands that prayer takes work and you're devoted to it? You're going to devote yourself to it? It might mean getting up a little bit earlier in the mornings to spend time with God. Because prayer is difficult. But it's not impossible. It can be done. You're the one who understands that God is your father. Jesus, the first thing he taught us was understand your relationship with God. If you are in Christ, he is your father. You have the same rights and privileges as a son, as Jesus. Are you one or are you the one who just blows through all that and goes right to Lord, give me, give me, give me. Bless me, bless me, bless me. I need more of what you gave me last year. I pray that today we would all be servants of God who understand the work of prayer. And that sounds a little bit legalistic. It's not. The work of prayer. That's what allows us to build a foundation for our lives. A foundation for our life that is filled with joy, peace, and fulfillment. And we can start that today. We can start that this week during our week of prayer. And I invite you to return the rest of this week, as, as we continue to go through the Lord's Prayer, continue to learn from this, because it will make a difference in your life. Would you bow for prayer?
Father, we're so thankful for the powerful words that are found in the scriptures. I thank you for what you continue to teach us. There's so much that we have to learn. God, our desire is, is to learn what you have for us. Because our desire is to build lives that are, that are deep in, in faith. Strengthen our souls so that we can have a, a, a soul that is rich in your presence in spiritual growth. Father, the first step for us has to be that we learn to pray as a foundation for our lives. So first of all, today, Father, we say forgive us. Forgive us that we've not practiced this. Maybe we didn't understand it, but now you've taught us something. So I pray that we would begin to build on this. I pray that we would begin to establish a pattern of prayer that lays the right foundation for our lives. I pray that we would understand the work of prayer and understand how much you love us as our Father and what that really means for us today. As we approach you now, Father, in our prayer, our humble prayer, as we approach you now through worship, I pray that you would help us to take these steps toward establishing prayer as a daily habit in our lives. For we ask it all in Jesus' name.